Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Those were the sumptuous sounds of Mr. One Tom Rosenfall. Thank you very much to Tom for doing a magnificent job on the theme song. Uh, we haven't mentioned it in the previous episodes because we recorded them before hearing it, but I texted Tom a couple of weeks ago asking if he'd be up for doing it. He said, yeah, sure. And then sent me that a few hours later saying, is this okay? I'm not sure I can do another one if you Wasn't like. Wasn't it literally like and an hour and a half after you'd asked It was it. about two hours, yeah. yeah it was yeah. It was no time at all. And, and he wrote the greatest piece of music anyone has heard since inc- The Duh. It's You know, like, it's, it's like, this is the day by th- The that's, Duh. A, that's a banger, like, by the I way. think that might be the best song ever written. Like, it's top five, top three. That, that is, it's a very, very yeah. good song. But I think, do you want to go to rugby heaven? Uh, that's incredible. It's I'm glad you brought there. that up because yeah. I had it in my notes that we have to talk no, about Tom to... Rosenthal and his incredible piece of music. I listened to his new album last night. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's really good. It's really good. Really He's good. really talented. Uh, really talented guy. Dennis is a bird. Dennis was mm. a bird. Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Go, go check that out. It's not paid, paid to say that. It's just genuinely very good. He's um, a wonderful, and... wonderful, very lovely, very funny, very warm man. Yeah. And a very, very talented man as yeah well. he is and i mean previously my favorite theme tune he'd done was let's go back to 2011 look at the world cup with squidge was was very very good and he set the bar incredibly high mm. for that and people have tweeted me before saying they love the theme tune yeah, to, yeah. to this this program it's like i'm not the guy you know <laughs> yeah. like tom rosenthal is is your man uh, and yeah, he smashed it out of the park uh, yeah. with this 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 new edition, and he's beaten his own standards yeah, somehow. Please, please go and find him on the social media. Please go and listen to all of his work. You know, yeah. they're all on Spotify and Apple Music yeah. and so on. And there, there's a lot of great stuff out there. There's a yeah. lot of great stuff out there. Yeah. There's some possibly okay passable stuff coming up as we delve into. I'm Robbie or Squidge, whatever you want to call me. Joining me as ever is uh, I'm Willow in Rugby Person. Thank you. That is hyphenated, by the way. Willow yeah, in yeah. hyphen rugby person. Yeah. And we will be looking at the third, oh, it's actually the fourth game of the Rugby World Cup yes. from 2019, so, 2019, 2000, 2019, 2987. 2000, 2087, yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, we are not joined by yes. Connor from Wibble Rugby. We did say on the last episode that we would be, but uh, unfortunately, yeah, he I is ill. Trails with, yeah, unfortunately he can't make it. Uh, I want to wish him a very quick swiftly recovery yeah we will have him back on a later episode that's the plan anyway yeah am i going to be able to say anything you're going to say it before i get there go on because no 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 no. it's just it's impressive whenever i'm open enough to say something you say exactly the same thing before i can get there how about i read your mind right now yeah 
Are you thinking about England versus Australia from 1987? I was, I was thinking about the time Tom Haberfield played centre. Oh, okay. I was then going to continue thinking about right, okay. the game we're going to be covering today, which is Australia's 19-6 win over England, the first game either team ever played in the Rugby World Cup back in 1987. So, we've covered a couple of games from the first couple of rounds, yes. where we had New Zealand battering Italy, yeah. and we had and the dog ran onto the pitch, <laughs> and then we had... Romania's narrow win over Zimbabwe. So far, 50% of the man of the match votes in this tournament are for dogs. <laughs> yes, correctly so. Or for so. the same dog. Correctly so, I would say. So we've we've covered two games that have involved kind of minnows. Italy at this time weren't sure. a tier one nation. They yeah. were, a, you know, a smaller nation. Yeah. They're described by the commentator as the unknown quantity, the unknown <laughs> force yeah. that is Italy. This is the first time we've had two tier one teams really going hammer and tongs at yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. This is the biggest World Club. Ca- club well, I'm going to learn to speak over the course of this podcast. I yeah. swear you, you can't speak. I really, really cannot. Thank you. Of course, you did. You I, did mention before I cut you off there that uh, France did play Scotland just before this game. Yes, and we've slightly jumbled the we, order here. We got but, the order wrong because of the the fixture list I copied out had the game the wrong way around so yeah. and we booked a guest for the next episode <laughs> yeah so so <laughs> who hopefully won't get covid yes and we'll be fine we're gonna um, just roll with this so yeah so this is the first tier one v tier one game that we got first superpower v superpower mm. we got in the rugby world cup ever and let me tell you it was shit it was borderline unwatchable <laughs> the standard so, was that I'm bad so glad you're on my my same page. I, I had to I had to really fight back the urge to text you saying this last night. Yeah. Saying like th- this game is genuinely it's appalling. atrocious. Yeah. It's such a bad rugby match, yeah. right? Yeah. And the whole way I kept thinking about like right at the end of the game, the commentator says, and I wrote this down, right, so I can say it word for word, this has been a very entertaining test match. And then the other commentator talks about how quick pace it is, how back and forth is, how even the contest is. Yeah. And I also like found some headlines from the from the time. Yeah, okay. Um, so the Daily Express headline was England's most impressive performance since the 1980 Grand Slam. Wait, what? Yep. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so the final score was Australia 19, England 6. Yep. Uh, the Daily Mail headline was English rugby reborn in the sunshine of Sydney's new rugby stadium. Why were they so happy about this? <laughs> they were delighted with this. Like, it's not like it was like a valiant loss to a superpower. They were diabolical. Yeah. They were absolute diabolical. They were um, absolute diabolical. You know what, Nick? So, you're right. So, yeah, so this is an atrocious game of rugby. It's really, really bad, and England lose comprehensively. Though we had no idea what the score was at any point. Yeah. Because it feels like Australia massively ahead, because Michael Lyon keeps going for goals and keeps <laughs> missing them. And England are somehow in it repeatedly, and yeah. like, they have a few shots of goal, and I had no idea so, what was going on. And at this point, they didn't have the scoreboard on the screen at all times. Yeah. Or the clock as well. Sure. Um, at one point, we actually had the commentator in the background say, have you got the time? I've lost the time. Oh, really? Because I actually found, weirdly, of the three games we've had mm. so far, this has kind of been the easiest one to follow because it was Gordon Bray on the commentary, yes. who, of course, still commentates now. We've discussed on this podcast before for mm. his uh, his actions in rugby. Here we go. Yeah, and that that too. And talking about the back row and so on. But yeah, he, he would actually tell you what the score was when he could remember it yes. and how long had been played roughly. And, yeah. and he did quite a good job of that. Gordon Bray is very much in the kind of radio commentator mould. He yeah. tells you everything that's happening. Yeah, You know, yeah. he's one of those. Yeah. And that's his style. It works for him. And it's Absolutely. You know, perfectly good commentator in that. Yeah. In that mould, it is 
just him nattering away on top of this absolute yeah. shit show. But it's um, just that point where you kind of... Did you have a point watching this game where you think, have we peaked with Romania Zimbabwe? I did wonder that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I started to worry... Is that as like, good as it's going to get? This is the level of tier 1v tier 1 games, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because at least those games, there was something... Like the Italy-New Zealand game, there were constant tries and there was a load of stuff that was sure. entertainingly silly happening. Yeah, yeah. And Such as con- dogs on the field. It was constantly happening in the Zimbabwe game. Right? Yes. Like there was constant incident. There was constant, like... Because both teams were capable enough, and, but they weren't on the top of their game. That there if, were things that were entertaining happening. If something wasn't good, it was funny at yeah. least. Whereas this is just very bad. This is very, very bad. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, there's a lot of pundits out there who complain that we've moved on from the good old days of whatever. And the thing is, the good old days never existed. <laughs> because you look at this game, right? There's more kicking than there is these days. Yeah. There still takes ages over scrum resets. Yeah. But no players can catch the ball. Yeah. No, so there's a lot more scrums generally. There's no tactics whatsoever. No. No one knows how to ruck. I mean, yeah. at one point, there's a hilarious ruck where Dean Richards flies in over the top. Oh my God, that's so good. I mean, we can, we'll just briefly <laughs> we'll just cover that, that because it's Rory Underwood has like this fantastic run where he goes yeah. like 50 meters, beats all the Australians. And to spoil it, Rory Underwood's like the one good English player in this game. Rory Underwood <laughs> is incredible when he can catch the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's exactly. Or if there's a bounce pass, he just has to pick it up. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> because no one can pass either. There's a moment um, where Rory Underwood catches the ball in the first 10 minutes and just instantly goes. Yes. Right? And he makes like 30 meters like oh shit someone's capable on yeah this yeah yeah but he also does a lot of bad stuff for sure would like dropping the ball as you say missing tackles and so on anyway he goes sort of like 30 odd meters and nobody's really there to, to no. convince him to clear it out so dean richards basically just puts well, on a someone, superman outfit someone so one of the england players just goes in over the top of him legally mm. and then dean richards jumps like belly shot sure. onto the ruck yeah like arms in the air like complete kamikaze style sure lands on it <laughs> At which point, another one of the... Uh, I think it's Wade Dooley. Uh, it's Nigel Redmond. Nigel Redmond. Nigel Redmond. Right, okay. One of the yeah Australians then gets up, right? <laughs> Wade Dooley is about to punch someone, but another Australian walks in the way of who he's punching. And so he like jolts his arm, so he yeah, doesn't end yeah. up connecting with it. Yeah, yeah. It's an incredible so moment of like the dirtiest rock you've so, ever seen. So Dean Richards flies in, and as a punishment, one of the Australians tries to punch Redmond for it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. It tries to, to clock him around the face. And the referee just kind of goes, well, he didn't connect, so it's fine. And just does nothing about it. Uh, it's completely unpunished. So, I've mentioned in previous games, you know, this is the first time we get a full crowd out for a rugby world yes. cup match. A lot of the, other, the previous two games have kind of had half-empty stadiums. Yeah. So this is in Sydney, of course. Yes. Because originally the World Cup was going to be co-hosted between the two evenly. The yeah. New Zealand took all the games that didn't involve Australia, basically. <laughs> so, this game's in Sydney. This yeah. game is pretty much sold out. It's Pretty full crowd, you know, like yeah. everyone's come to watch this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good Australia team playing. Yeah. And we'll come to the team, team in a second. Yeah, yes. The teams. However, right, if you weren't in that stadium, you would have struggled to watch this. Oh, really? Because in the UK, this game was not broadcast live. Oh, why? Because the BBC didn't want to ruin the regular scheduling of University Challenge. No! <laughs> so the BBC showed University Challenge... As this game was being played, and then showed this game on a delay two hours later. Wow. Any idea who won University Challenge? I don't know who won. I imagine it was Michael a bit Weiner. more entertaining than this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We should, do a, we should do an episode on that episode of University that? Challenge. I'll try and find it. Um, <laughs> we'll do our best. We'll do so, our best. yeah. So, the BBC showed University Challenge instead of this game, and I think they made the right decision. 
Because <laughs> it's, it's absolutely atrocious. I don't think we can say that enough. That's going to come up. It's going to be I a mean, recurring yeah. theme. You, you, you would imagine that if Michael Liner was on that episode of University Challenge, he would buzz in on every single question and then say, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, to go through the teams, right? We'll yes. start with England, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's um, do it. Let's do it. So, this is an England team that has gone through a lot of change very recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and there's a lot of players whose names you know, but you don't. Because, you like, obviously, we're quite young. So, like, We've seen a lot of clips of some of these players, but not sure. necessarily like... Like Brian Moore, I don't think I've seen a full game of him playing. Peter Winterbottom, so, same thing. So, know? yeah, there's a few names that are now very familiar. This is yes. Brian Moore's second cap. Wow. Uh, he won his first cap in the last game against Scotland. In oh, wow. They did refer to him as the trainee solicitor from Nottingham. <laughs> yes, Nottingham gets a mention. It's yeah. like Martin Gillian commentator. Oh, yeah. That's Nottingham one. is mentioned in the commentary. So Significantly less than the last World Cup. Yeah. Even though there's a player who plays for Nottingham and is from Nottingham in the team. Mm. So... England, in this year's Six Nations, lost their opening two games. They lost 17-0 to Ireland. They then lost to France in Paris. That's a thumping. And so they then went into the third game in Cardiff in the Five Nations. And they decided they needed to change the tactics because they hadn't won in Cardiff in almost 20 years. Okay. Right. And this was genuine. The decision, led apparently by Dean Richards, um, who was, of course, a policeman and was at number eight for this England team, was that they were going to be as violent as possible and throw Wales off their game. Okay, okay. I mean, I think it's a legitimate tactic. And looking at this game, I'm not surprised. So following that particular match, seven England players were banned for punching. My God. Really? Yep. Any idea? What, like, were they big players, so, senior players? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the players include Gareth Chilcott. Oh, wow. Gareth Chilcott didn't make this World Cup. He was on the bench on this was game. It, was he? Okay. Yeah. So they were dropped, right? So the hooker was dropped. Brian Moore then comes in to win his first cap. Right, okay. Because the, hook, the next week has sure. the hooker's banned for punching. Right. Also, right, not in the team, uh, or not starting at least, is Richard Hill, who's on the bench. They yeah. show him in the standard point. Of course, scrum half Richard Hill, not yes, flanker Richard say, Hill. Not that one. Yeah. Um, there's a Richard I did Hill. have to check. Yeah, I thought so. So Richard Hill, the scrum half, had been the England captain in that Six Nations. Right. Uh, he was banned for basically allowing all of this to happen. Oh, I see. So he kind of instigated this yeah. along with Dean Richards. I see. And he was a scrum after. So he probably got involved. I like how Richards got away with this. I know. So he was dropped as captain. Yeah. Um, he didn't start another game for three years. Wow. Um, and he yeah lost the captaincy. That's brutal. Uh, so they dropped him out of the team. Elsewhere... Graham Dorr was dropped in play for England again. Wow. Um, Wade Dooley was dropped for the Calcutta Cup game. Right, um, okay. He famously punched Phil Davis, who was at number eight for Wales. Okay. And obviously gone on since to coach in Namibia yeah. and um, Cardiff. And... Cardiff and lose lots of games for all yeah. of them. Worcester, you know. Wade Dooley punched him in the face so badly that he broke his cheekbone in three places. My God. I mean, hats off. Wade Dooley was banned for one game. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, I mean, you've you've heard, obviously, the stories that when... Remember that time when, weirdly, Martin Bayfield must have done what looked like a stand-up show where he started telling stories about playing with Wade Dooley and Dean oh, Richards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it included the do not send that fucker off story, <laughs> which was... Was that Wade Dooley? Is that worth, that worth, is that worth telling? Well, uh, just teasing. Well, I mean, I, I assume a lot of people who are listening to sure. this have heard this, but the, the story effectively goes that there were a lot of fights in the game, uh, a French player threw a punch at Wade Dooley. I believe it was Wade Dooley anyway. And he turns to the referee and just goes, do not send that fucker off because he wanted to go back at him. And I, I think that's very positive shithousery where you prioritise that above the 80-minute game of rugby you're currently playing. Yep. So 
in their place then with England having been so severely depleted in a lot of positions, having lost a lot of key players. They also had, obviously with it being the amateur era, yeah, they had Simon Halliday, who was one of their best players during the Six Nations, where they beat Scotland in the last game. That was kind of like their big comeback thing. And they were like, you know, we're going to rebuild something from here. Simon Halliday was one of their best players in that Six Nations. Uh, you know, he was unable to travel because he was a stockbroker and couldn't get leave to go for the World oh, Cup. Oh, really? Wow. Um, so he wasn't able to travel over. Could have called in sick. No one would have seen it on telly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he could, well, no, he had to be on University Challenge that week. <laughs> Obviously, England have a lot of, you know, changes in the team. The captaincy goes to Mike Harrison, the winger. I had never heard of him. I had never heard of him either. I literally have. So I've, I've done the team sheets on my notes here, then I just literally have who the hell is Mike Harrison written underneath it. Yep. I originally misread it as Miles Harrison. I did as well. I did that as well. I've got a quote from Mike Harrison on getting the captaincy here. Okay. They must have gone through the team list from 1 to 15. I imagine I was their 15th call after everyone else said no. I was gobsmacked. It was not something I ever expected. Fair enough. And you know what? After coming through this game... The only reason why I kind of recognised him mm. is because every time he got the ball, Gordon Bray was like, oh, he's the captain. He needs to try and make an impression here. And I was thinking like, yeah, let's see what's so good about this guy. He must be established considering like England captaincy is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. You would have heard of him you mm. know, at a World Cup as well. You know, so I was thinking like there must be something about him. And nah, like <laughs> I, I he, thought he played well. He, he did a couple of decent kicks. I thought he Otherwise, played well. Otherwise, I didn't a, really see much For of a him. man who doesn't exist, I thought he played well. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, the bar is low. So, should we carry on with the England team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they've got Peter Williams at number 10. Nigel Redman, who I mentioned, who I choose to believe is the same guy as Redman, who did that album with Method Man. It is. It is. Yeah, the same yeah, guy. yeah, that's yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Gary Reese comes in at number 7. Uh, guy Pierce, uh, Tighthead, the actor. Marcus Rose, who was the goal-kicking fullback who had kicked every shot he had in the Six Nations or something, I think. Right, okay. Um, who was and lasted about three minutes. <laughs> yep, gets injured about three minutes in. And also, at centre, they have Jamie Salmon, who I'm pretty sure I made up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Jamie Salmon sounds like you're trying to do a fish 15, right? Sure. And you say, Dan Fisher fullback, Reese Gill at loose head. Yeah. Who else goes in the fish 15? And I'll say, oh, there's a guy called Jamie Salmon who played for England sure, in the 1987 sure. World Cup. And yeah. you would assume I'm making it up, but yeah. no. Yeah. There is a that's real... a joke that happens a lot. I made it last week yeah. with Sonic the Hedgehog. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But no, Jamie Salmon is a real man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a and real fish, at least. I, yeah, I couldn't figure him out. I mean, basically, as far as I could tell, what his sort of, sort of personality trait was as a player is that he would catch the ball running backwards and then just boot it over the touchline and try and get it in that direction. If he could catch it. If he could catch fish. it. Yeah, yeah, And it's very difficult without hands to catch the ball. Yeah, so there's you know quite a few players I think the average rugby fan will have heard of, but yeah. they're pretty much all in the forwards. Sure. Like the pack, apart from Roy Underwood, is not that well known. It's, you know, Brian Moore, Wade Dooley, Peter Winterboss, and Dean Richards, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. And all of them are known as hard bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. 100%. Should we look at the Australian team? Yes, let's. Uh, very, very quickly we'll go over this. So the big dogs, Far Jones, Liner, Campisi, you yeah. know? Like, these, these are big names here. They've got a loose head prop called Topo Rodriguez, who yeah, I've never yeah, heard yeah. of before. And like, I question whether or not he was Australian from his name. Uh, I didn't actually notice him in the game at all, doing anything. I No, a few times I heard Topo Rodriguez said, and I didn't believe it. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So they were captained by uh, Andrew Slack at outside centre, mm-hmm. who I wasn't particularly familiar with. The, I think I've heard his name before. So the first time Andrew Slack gets the ball, right? Yeah. And I haven't seen, if anyone wants to go back and watch this game, it's on the playlist that we've put up. Yes. Like, it's the channel I've been doing. Yes. Uh, Uncle Boom Me, who can record Passable Cups. Yeah. The first time Andrew Slack gets the ball, and there isn't a team sheet at the start of the game, so I hadn't seen any yeah. Slack. The first time he gets the ball, Michael Liner throws a mispass to him, right? And the commentator says, cut out to Slack. And I thought he'd just got the expression wrong. I'd be like, cut you some slack. <laughs> That's pretty good. That that does sound like something Gordon Bray would believably do, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. It? So they've got one Matt Burke on the bench as well. Have which they? Is, yeah, quite, quite an exciting thought. But yeah, in the pack, I'm not particularly familiar with many of these players. Tom Lawton, the hooker. Mm. Steve Cutler in the second row, who uh, made his presence known. I think he was the guy who uh, tried to smack Nigel Redman. Tell you what, Gordon Bray loves both the second rows. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? He, he does. absolutely loves yeah. them both. And he loved Troy Coker, the number eight, mm. which is, you know, what I like to but call he, Lawrence and he says, yes, He says repeatedly, they've got two players, right, who are both really tall. They're both over two metres tall. So they're both about six, eight, which by today's standards is pretty tall. Yeah, you know? it is. It is. But most test teams have got someone it's taller, taller than, than me. I'm six foot two. Would agree that it is taller than you. Yeah, person like I, on a personal opinion level. Speaking as someone who is six foot twelve, I agree as well that they yeah. is taller. That is taller than yeah. I am. I'm six two um, again, by the way, just in case anyone was asking. So yeah, so you know, it's a good Australia team who've been playing well recently. <laughs> Went in, so we're told they yeah. they, they played a, a warm up match against Korea the week they, before. Yeah, they played Korea. Michael Liner was unavailable for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, he he was injured for the game against Korea, which feels like the kind of injury you fake. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If you're the week before World it's Cup, a business decision. I was going to say it's a classic to quote business friend decision. Friend of the pod, Josh Gardner. That is a business decision. You don't. If you're Michael Liner, you don't bother playing against Korea. No, of course not. Of course not. So should we go on to the start of the game? If we have to. So. And the first thing I've written down in my notes is just, oh my god, okay, so, a few seconds, 50 seconds in, a few things to address here. And I've addressed oh, this in verbal oh, form. Oh, no, 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 we've missed something as well. Go on. The referee. The referee. Is Bryce Mr. Lawrence's dad. Mr. Keith Lawrence, father of Bryce. Bryce Lawrence's dad is the referee. Yes. So I saw Kay Lawrence and thought, oh, yep. okay, that's interesting. It's kind of like Bryce, haha. And then there's a moment in the second half where there's... Uh, the, the referee becomes a bit more prominent and I decided to look him up and go yep. is he related to Bryce? And there is yeah he very much is he he spawned or well, he didn't spawn Bryce Lawrence uh, because uh, presumably no he did Bryce Lawrence he did oh, he really? split in half yeah like a worm someone attacked him after this game and he just produced a Bryce Lawrence out oh, of him oh really who then matured into a referee who would later make very controversial decisions in games involving Australia yeah yeah absolutely so yeah Mr. Keith Lawrence <laughs> when I say very controversial <laughs> sorry the, the call decision he makes and we'll get on to it in this decision this game is not controversial it's just wrong it's just bollocks Okay, that's well, yeah. Anyway, so uh, onto the very first thing that happens yes. in the game. So uh, as I said, I've I've written this in a very uh, spoken verbal kind of a, a way in my notes, which I don't usually do. Usually, I just kind of put like Dean Richards uh, quote marks skill and creativity, and th- that's that's a note, you know, right. uh, because the commentators refer to Dean Richards as skillful and creative. You do uh, not get any of funny. that, no. <laughs> Dean Richards. I don't know why he's playing international rugby. Like, watching in him. the best way like, possible, he, is, he played like a bellend. Yeah, like, he's but that's it. Like he's, he's there because he's big and hard. And he is a massive prick in every sense of the word. Yeah, yeah. Like, he is massive, and, and he is a prick. That's and he what is a passed for a number prick. eight in 1987. Exactly. You know? 
Like, like there's absolutely no skill or like he doesn't really carry the ball. He doesn't really he make doesn't big throw hits. A pass. Like... He just like he just like puts cheap shots on people. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty that's much what he's there for. And look uh, to a lot of people, he's an England rugby legend for <laughs> yeah. that. You know, but skill and creativity not the reason. Anyway, so I've written down in very formal style notes. So Australia have men over against a wobbly England line, which mm. is pretty much just diagonal. It's pretty much just the. Peter Williams shot out of line and everybody else was running backwards. So was pretty much the line that they formed. Peter Williams, I want to take a quick second now. Yeah. I repeatedly referred to Peter Williams as the Tunnel Vision 10. Because yeah, I have never a seen a fly half with more tunnel vision yeah. than Peter Williams who was playing 10 for England like, this day. There's not many fly halves who play more like a 7 than him. <laughs> no, exactly. Other there's, than Andaman Rowe. There's an absolutely brilliant tackle that he makes on Campisi in the second yes. half. Where you go like, oh, fair play. Like, you know, if Justin Tipperick made that tackle today, you'd be going like, that is why he's world class. Yeah. But Peter Williams, I have no idea what he was doing in terms of wearing the 10 jersey. he doesn't... <laughs> There are quite a few occasions where there's an overlap or there's numbers or there's probably space in behind and he just doesn't look. Yeah, yeah. He only looks straight in front of him. Yeah. And for that, I became a big fan of Peter Williams. Yeah, he's the yeah. 10. Like, and he's a perfectly skillful guy when you see him trying to do it. Sure. But he is the 10 with the least of vision of any international fly half yeah, I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Australia have a lot of men over mm. against a wobbly England defensive line. And then Michael Liner kicks the ball. Mm. What? Why would why would you kick the ball when literally you're a pass or two away from Scott? Hang on, it's gone out on the fall. He's going to be really crap, isn't he? Australia. So and then I've, I've got down. Okay, Australia warmed up against Korea, and I don't know want to, don't want to know how that went. And also, they still had uncapped players in this game that they didn't use in the Korea match, which sounds like they, they used that incorrectly. But Michael Liner, the first thing he does is does one of the worst kicks I've ever seen in an it's international rugby match. It's... And he's on the phone. I think. Wait, Michael Lyon is one of the players I know from this game because he is known as an all-time great. Yes. He has won a World Cup. Yeah. Like, he is a proper legend of Australian rugby. Yeah, yeah. And I think he's going to be terrible, isn't he? It certainly is not a great first impression, is it? No. As a start to his legacy in the World and Cup. And we'll come on to how the rest and of the game goes for Lyon. Obviously, but... obviously, he's better known for the 91 World Cup. Of course he is. He, of course he is. You know, played and the hey, final, four years is a lot of time to improve. Yeah. And... On the base of that first moment, he needs it. And, you know, he got it. Oh, hey, ah! Hello. That's staying um, in. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Uh, what an afternoon we're having, ladies and gentlemen. That was a burp? So, yeah, it was a burp. Yeah. Um, but I also did float three foot off the ground. Um, <laughs> did, did. So, oh, your feet haven't quite touched the floor yet. This is pretty extraordinary. So, I am basically Ramiel Geisen kicking a ball. Yes. Um, so, Michael Liner hits it badly, right? And that is the moment you start, you have like the Lee Jarvises of the world, the Jiffies of the world, yeah. start flashing through your head and going, God, play, modern players in 2021, they don't know how to bloody run the ball, do they? <laughs> they don't look for space. All they do is bloody hoof it. As I said, the glory days never existed. Yeah. The, yeah. This, and that's the thing that this game becomes, right? It becomes a version of the test rugby that we see today. Yeah. But terrible. With no tactics There's or anything. No tactics, but- no intensity. There was a point where I genuinely thought about just pausing the game and having a moment to just think, like, why on earth? It's kind of disgraceful. So uh, England get a scrum on the Australian 22. Oh, my God, yeah. It's awful, isn't it? So they get a scrum, and they they push it back, and the fly-off clearly, Williams clearly has something called with his sentence. So, no, 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 no. So, so I think you're not even picking up the... 
England get a shove on, right? Yeah, yeah. And the nine is trying to pull it out, and the number and like Dean Richards basically tells him to piss off. Yeah, yeah. And like, keeping because it in the scrum, keeping so. in the scrum. Yeah, push them back. They start going forward, and it's not like a constant progress. It's like they keep making big shoves and moving yeah, forward, and yeah. move forward, like and one at a time forward. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And so they make about five meters off the scrum, yeah. and it's really going forward. And eventually, the scrum half Richard Harding does pull it out the back of the scrum. Yeah. And he just he just he goes for a box kick. Which moves about, I think, two meters forward it, and goes about ten meters in the air. It basically lands where the opposition number eight is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, so you've not thought this through, and like you can really, really They're unpick in this. the twenty-two. Every single player on that team should have absolutely bollocked them. For that. If I, if I was a coach, right, mm. at my, if if somebody in my under 15s team did that, yeah. I would bring them off, and and I'd say like, look, you're not, you don't care about the team, you just yeah. care about the fact that you wanted to kick the ball. Even though, think about the fact that we're in the opposition twenty-two. What's what? What do you gain from that extra? It's the best case scenario is that they kick it. It lands just up, just before the try line. The opposition player calls a mark. You know that's yeah. literally the best case scenario there. Uh, he's literally done that because he wants to kick the ball. Yeah, there is no thought has gone into that other than just him being selfish and terrible at rugby. And also, like he's come in for the captain. You yeah. know, like he's trying to put down a. A, a statement, you know, yeah. he's going, look at me, I can kick the ball, you know, I'm like the bloody Italian when, scrum half. Who when, I, when I was younger and I first started playing scrum half, yeah. I definitely would have had a couple of moments where I got carried away and tried sure. to do box kicks that weren't on, but not in the opposition 22. No. Like, you do it in your own half, realise you can't box kick, and then give it to the fly off for the rest of the game. That's that's how yeah. my rugby career's gone anyway. No. Like, this this was just a really completely brain-dead moment. Not even brain-dead, because he made an active choice to... I'm getting really angry about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The worst thing is it's a completely dominant scrum. It's not just that they're in the 22. Yeah, genuinely They've got appalling. a massive shove on. There's no penalty coming. There's no penalty no, 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 or anything. No. And it's an atrocious kick. It yeah. barely goes five metres. Yeah. And that is England's attack. As you say, the, the Australian number eight catches the ball. Yeah. Like, from where he's stood. He when just stands up. He's like, oh, right, cheers, Yeah, lads. the ball's there. Great. Such a total waste. And, like, they got into that position from... <laughs> I mean, the first England line-out is quite funny because... You realise, again, all of these people who played in the 80s who think they understand what rugby is. Because what happened was, England won their line out, which is a rarity in this game. Yeah. And then literally, Williams crashes it in. The fly-off crashes it in on the first phase. And all eight England forwards, completely stood upright, all just completely pile into the ruck, yeah. stamp over everything. And then that was what that's what rugby was. Yeah. And then they just go two but- passes. And they're still like in midfield. And Rory Underwood gets on the outside of somebody. It's- but that was what was considered... The right thing to do was to put all yeah. the white forwards in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so each ruck took about 40 seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and hence, like, mauls are as common as rucks because yeah. it's the same thing, but it's off your ground. Yeah. Which I do wonder if there's something in that making a comeback at some point. I, th- I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Looking at mauls as an alternative to yeah. rucks. Yeah, I, I, do, I genuinely do think that that's something that could happen, you know. I think it probably um, would if they changed I, the choke tackle law. Look, um, uh, we've... Obviously, we're going to one day coach the Barbarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is something we've discussed in the past. We, we we've discussed have, some, some yeah. moves that have more we're to overplay. Very, very ready. If Barbarians FC are listening. Yeah. Um, Which please, I know you are. Please bring us in. And tr- But believe um, me, we've genuinely got a lot of notes written down. Oh, good so moves many. We can do stuff. You know, make so it happen, many. please. So many. And Rabs Maxwani is going to play on the way yes. to Yes, he um, is. That is the current standard. Yeah, of yeah. Our, yeah. Our understanding. And I also want to get Jamie Salmon out of retirement. Just, yes, to see if, just to see if he's real. Well, yeah, he can be the kit man just as long as he's involved yeah. in some way. He, he he can be he can deliver fish for us. Whatever he's willing to do. Uh, I want to complete a backline that is entirely Rabs Maxwani and people with fish related names. <laughs> that would be good. That would be great. 
So the, there's a disgusting box kick. Um, <laughs> it really is. And then shortly afterwards, Australia clear the ball. And then a penalty is given against England for trying to lift up the line out. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? I love that because they, they try and shove Wade Dooley in the air. Yeah. And Wade Dooley's a tall man already, you know? Yeah. And yeah. they give him an extra couple of inches and you think, oh, that's a good line out by England. They get penalised for it. And what I love is on their next two line outs, they still try it. Yes! And there's another point about 70 minutes in where they think, he might not spot this one. And they try it again. And England just really love giving away penalties that much. They're just thinking like, yeah, he won't notice this time. But like, this England team, their entire pack. And right, okay. Brian Moore is the only player I'm looking at in this team that I think is good at rugby in their pack. I'm not even convinced by him. Brian Brian Moore passes the ball twice. Oh, does he? Right, yeah. Okay, that's good. And he like he runs a support line at one point. Brian Moore is the only player in that pack who looks like a rugby player. The rest of them are just pricks. I love Brian like Moore's like, grenade-style throwing in technique, by oh, the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just lobs it, hurls it low and hard. <laughs> but my favourite thing is, you know, because it's like we're a few years before Sean Fitzpatrick invents the two-handed throw in the spin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Brian Moore is so close. Because he every time he lifts the ball up, he puts a second hand on to steady yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then he just lobs it in. He, he kind of does like a cricket style like bowl, doesn't he? In in terms of like the aggression he did, sure, delivers on his yeah. one handed throw. I also loved England constantly trying to go back to the back of the line out. Yes. Again, like uh, we what? discussed on a previous episode, but like if the ball is in the air for one two seconds, the Australian can go. Yeah, the ball's going to the back. Yeah, can just jump, jump and catch it. Well, because as no Gordon Bray keeps telling us, they have two players who are taller than two meters. <laughs> So they're in real danger. And Steve um, Cutler, Bill Campbell. And believe me, like the amount of times and again, like I play amateur rugby. Sure. Sometimes you look at opposition pack and see that they've got one light tall player and mm. you go, they're throwing every line out to him. Yeah. Wherever he stood in the line out, just stand there yeah. and contest and if they do something else, fair play to them. And that's kind of what Australia had to do at this point, was just go, Well, they're throwing it to one of those two lads, so they're... as long as we put somebody opposite them, yeah. we're fine. They're not the Constantine brothers. You know what's, yeah, that's true. What's great is like we're doing analysis in inverse commas on lineouts now because they're that bad and <laughs> so that simple. I was also thinking watching this game back. Can you imagine just tuning in casually to watch this, <laughs> wanting to see University Challenge, yeah. um, and then you you end up watching a lineout, right? And nowadays, if you watch rugby, a lot of people go like, "Oh, there's so many weird little bits. Like there's a lineout and the scrum yeah, and something. They don't yeah. necessarily get how they link up, but at least all of them individually look." kind of cool yeah lineups you know? do look cool i think to the casual rugby viewer at... that's probably the most cool thing to watch yeah and like, like you're throwing look at a guy the... in the air to catch a ball and you immediately oh it's so cool 2019 world cup right walking around tokyo in the le- weeks leading up to it yeah they had photos of the the luke thompson claiming the lineup in the lead up to the goromaru trial. yeah right? and like that was the image everywhere it was the lineup being taken yeah because that is and again when i was walking around cardiff like aesthetically pleasing isn't it i walked past a few bars that had the same thing up of it was Aaron wainwright taking a line out as like what's the alternations cup here you sure know? Because, uh, yeah, there's something of a line-out that looks, like, dynamic and yeah. cool and whatever. Can you imagine tuning in to watch a game in 1987 and going, why are there 16 fully grown men standing next to each other playing what looks like a schoolyard game where you've got to slap a, like, pigskin yeah. back? Towards a small man who then just has to get clobbered by these these weird eight people wearing it, a different shirt. It's so thoroughly unentertaining to How watch. How did they make this up? Without the, like, the lifting thing in the first place. But let alone banning it. They've also got to have a gap still. Yeah. Because the ball's got to go down the middle. Because I assumed what had happened mm. was that they did line outs like this for ages and it wasn't very good. Eventually somebody did a lift and they thought, that's ingenious. Yeah. And everybody just did it. Uh, rather than the fact that they actively went out of their way and banned it. And then at some point, 
will have changed the law so that this is allowed. Something I'll look into for future episodes. Like yeah, still yeah, yeah. Lineup, yeah. But Again, it's... we're quite young, so. <laughs> but yeah. it's 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 amazing to watch. The... Yeah. Again, someone being penalised for lifting up the line out. It's like we talked in the past about penalties for uh, blocking runners, yes. which are now just a core part of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's very different, something that is genuinely a core part of the game, and yeah. something that is coached on the most basic level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't play rugby very well at senior level without it. No. Yeah, that's that's really bizarre. Next thing I have written down, the, the complex England set play that they run, which the commentators are very, very keen that, that mm. it's, a, it's, it's a, a core set play in the England team. Which is past Rory Underwood, mm. <laughs> except Harding passes into touch and channels his inner Ben Youngs. So yes, so it's a blindside off a scrum. Yeah, yeah. And he, he chucks it into touch down. Like, oh, that's this very intricate move. England run there. They they run this move quite a lot. So, no, yeah, they pass so the their best player. The interesting thing they do is that Dean Richards at number eight binds onto the other flanker rather than in the middle. Oh, okay. So that he's on the blind side. I see. And he then picks up, pops the nine. <laughs> it makes shit all difference. Yeah. Um, he still passes the ball over the touchline. And also, like, like Campesi is stood there opposite him. Yeah. Or Peter Gregg, whichever winger it is. Yeah, yeah, You know, he stood there opposite him. He was not going anywhere. Sure. Because there's not enough space. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as you say, it's a bit like in the first game when pass or winger in space was seen as a novel move. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that we've, uh, in terms of England's backline that we've glossed over is, of course, John Webb comes on for his test yes. debut. So quite early on, fullback Marcus Rose goes off injured. And so Webb comes on, and they just give him the goal kicking instantly. Yeah, it's a strange one. On his debut. And yeah. it's like, I think basically the first thing he does when he's on the pitch is... Miss a shot at goal. Miss a shot at goal. And it's it's quite crazy to think he was only the second worst goal kicker on the pitch at this point. Michael Liner, no, I, Michael Liner takes a lot, a lot, a lot of shots at goal. And all of them narrowly miss. Rodriguez, like hey, I was gonna say he's not quite Rodriguez level of I ambition, was, but I mean, I was gonna say so. The, the last time we had England's opening game in a Rugby mm. World Cup was in oh, 2011 no. with the Argentina game. We discussed that with Sam Lana, uh, and that was pretty much dominated by missed shots at goal yeah. and just generally poor kicking. It's not too different here. So I did, I did take a tally of um, mm. how many missed shots at goal there were for England. There were only two. Okay, so that was John Webb took both of those. He missed the first two shots at goal. One of them was a really quite bad miss, and, and then he got two after that. So he only got one. Did he... No, they got, got six conversion. points. He only got the conversion. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, he got one. Oh god, I forgot about four points for a try. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, he got one after that. Michael Lyon. He couldn't remember if there was a try or not. Yeah. Because I don't blame you. I don't remember. And I said I didn't remember the score. I thought England had kicked some points. I yeah. didn't know what was going on by yeah. the full time whistle. And England are that inept that you can't imagine them scoring. A yeah. Try. Yeah, I do now remember the try, now I think about it. But yeah, uh, (laughs) that probably speaks volumes of A, this game generally, and B, England in this game. But yeah, Michael Liner, do you want to know how many shots a goal he misses? Five. Seven. Seven, (laughs) okay. Out of what? Uh, I think I think he gets two or three. Oh no, yeah. So he got he got four. So he got three penalties in the conversion. So so he missed seven from eleven kicks. So he got four from eleven. It's yeah. It's you know. It's he certainly had a go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at least he didn't put them out in the full. One of them is incredibly impressive though, right? There's one shot at goal he takes, and I think it is in the second half. We'll skip ahead because sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, where he lines it up, and it's from like 25 to 30 meters. Right. You know, like it's very gettable, and it's just next to the post. It's sort of yeah. the range James Hawk would miss from. Of um, yeah. And so he kicks the ball, it hits one post, and it like ricochets violently 
off the post, down onto the floor, and then bounces back up and over the crossbar. Yeah, it's very sure. And, and the, the touch judges are very assertive putting their flags up, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it looked like it missed, but evidently it did go through the post. No, it, yeah, I went back and watched this again a couple of times to make yeah. sure of it. So it does definitely go through. Yeah. It goes through, it then comes off the post and in. Yeah. It then bounces down, bounces back up off the That's floor really and back impressive. over the crossbar. Remember that George Ford and then, one from a few years back when he was playing for Bath? Yeah, and it hit both posts. Where he, yeah. no, it, hit, it went, hit the floor and bounced over the crossbar, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. People called it like a trick kick, but it didn't count, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, Webb regathers the ball and is trying to play on yeah. uh, as if it didn't go over, despite the fact it clearly goes over. Yeah, it's just the camera yeah. angle's weird and makes it look like it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, some impressively poor kicking from Campesi. Yes. We've had a lot game. of posts being hit so far. Not Campesi, liner, sorry. You know, you yeah. had the one in the previous game where someone hit one post, got to retake and hit the other post. Yeah. Now we've got Michael Liner half contopomying it by getting of it course. to come back over the crossbar. Yeah, yeah. Which makes it twice I've ever seen that. Of course. So speaking of um, things that are now penalties mm. or, or, or whatever, aren't you glad that they outlawed the dummy at the base thing? Because Nick Farr Jones was being a complete Constantly. prick yeah, for yeah. it all the time and doing the whole, you know, swaying his hands thing. And again, I assumed it was one of those things that was always outlawed rather than mm. scrum halves just inherently will find a way to be a prick. Uh, if it's not in the laws, if there's not sto- nothing sure. stopping them doing it, then they'll do it. But like Harding does it as well at one point in the second half. Farr Jones doesn't buy it. But oh God, like they were constantly trying it and wasn't really working. So he, you're glad they out, outlawed it. He does, however, at one point, throw a Francois Trondoukest dummy and go straight through. Yes. Which is the highlight of the first half for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the one singular highlight, pretty much. There's a really funny moment where David Campisi gets the ball and you think, oh, okay, Campo's in a bit of space here. He's going mm. to dance around some people. And he does. You know, he gets on the outside of Harrison and has a little sprint down the wing. And then somebody closes in on him and he has no idea how to take the ball into contact. Yes. So he just completes running completely upright over the touchline because he just has no idea how to brace himself for a tackle. Like It's like he's genuinely never set foot on a rugby field before, is quite fast, so mm. he can do the whole getting around people thing, and then just gets so confused as soon as somebody come, comes near him. And I've never seen... Like, this is a world-class player in 1987. Yeah, like one of the all-time Completely players. dumbfounded by the idea of potentially being tackled. He just never had to do training, had he? No. I've got another point about uh, John Webb, uh, oh, yeah? if you want that. Please. So speaking of not very good uh, technique, there's a point where he takes a high ball that Liner puts up for him. And, you know, it's quite a good kick by Liner. Mm. And he doesn't want to take a tackle, so he just boots the ball straight into touch instead. And literally he turns towards the touchline. Yes. He's stood about two metres away from it and just kicks it out because he doesn't want to take contact. Yeah. Which is a hell of a, like, it was probably second or third touch of international rugby. And he's just decided he doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> I mean, I want to go back to Michael Lyons kicking. Okay, sort of yeah. jumping around all over the place. Yeah, yeah, um, And, I mean, at one point, Gordon Bray says he's part of the very rare 200 club. Going to this game, he scored exactly 200 points in international rugby. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And apparently that was really rare at the time. Right. Now it's actually quite... Sure. Not incredibly common, but like... Yeah. A fly half who plays quite a lot will, will achieve that. Yeah, There's a lot of yeah. players who've done that. Like the yeah. 1,000 club is the new one where... Sure. You know, it's just more elusive to join where there's only yeah. maybe... Five or six players have done it. But then there's another... It is actually that very same kick of goal, I think, or it might right. be the next one, uh, where Liner misses, because of course, and <laughs> the ball goes wide of the post, and you are looking at me like you know what I'm going to mention. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Salmon is stood under the post. Yeah. And he knocks the ball on. He just very blatantly. It. Yes. It's, it is a it is a Serafino Gitsoni moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he knocks the ball on. It tumbles forward a few metres. Then he picks it up and starts running. And the referee, and I'm going to quote, 
says he'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I didn't hear him say that. The referee gives him the benefit of the doubt. This is international level rugby. This is the he, World Cup. Like he, let's face it, he gave twenty two dropouts. He felt sorry for him. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so when I was playing at like under fifteens or something, yeah, we once had someone miss to kick a goal. Yeah, and it's rare to go no, it wasn't. To that it, was, age, it, it, wasn't it? it wasn't. It was just someone who kicked it and it went right. Into yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Line. And I was chasing it. I was playing on the wing. Uh, I was the one person chasing it, and the fullback like doesn't. Gra- the ball rolls over the dead ball line. Yeah. Fullback, the opposition fullback beat me to it. Uh, he picks the ball up and he just chucks it forward to the 10. Oh, I see. Like so Matamua style. He didn't, yeah. he didn't ground it. Yeah. He put, the, the ball was bouncing. He picks it up and just chucks yeah, it over. Yeah, yeah. Because he thinks, well, it's gone into the dead ball line. Therefore, it's sure. going to drop yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, And I started appealing. The, but the referee was the opposition coach. Oh, that old so, chestnut. Yep, so he gave it as a dropout. I did go for the intercept, though, just in case it was long. Yeah. And I did not make it. No. I did make an interception in that game. Nice. Uh, I remember that. Uh, it was the day after Steve Thompson scored his interception try against oh, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the guy I think you mentioned playing... this on the podcast before. Uh, did I? Yeah, yeah the guy yeah. who was playing 13, yeah, referred to as my Steve Thompson moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, if only you had the gas. Still, I know, I know. Yeah. But alas. Yeah, yeah that's, that's quite an interesting one, though. But, like, yeah, the yeah, fact so... that he, again, he just he felt sorry for him. He outright knocks it on. Yeah. And, and also, like, the referee doesn't give it. I mean, um, I, I've definitely had it before where oppositions have gone for goal. Mm. And I'm stood there thinking, like, I really hope this ball doesn't come in my direction because what if yeah, I knock yeah. it on? Because I will look like such a twat because you never see that on telly. No, exactly. Like, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. But it so does that's why you either, you either be and... the guy facing the post or you stand under the posts. <laughs> yeah. So it's gone through. It doesn't matter if you drop it. So so that happens, right? Yes. And you think, huh, what a funny moment of the referee not noticing a knock on. <laughs> yes. This, that's funny. This isn't going to be a massive theme throughout the rest of the game. Nope. Because, look, we get into the second half, and you know the option in, like, Rugby World Cup 2011? Yeah. Right? There's an option where you can play with the settings at half-time, and it turns off your ability to win tro- unlock trophies. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Australia did that. So Australia get no trophies in the second half. Yeah, but yeah. But they yeah. did turn off both offsides <laughs> and knock-ons. Because in the second half, they are entirely able to get away with both of those things. Sure, yeah. I mean, before we before we even go on to uh, the second half, mm. there is, of course, the last play of the first half, which is an unbelievable ride. Oh, of course. Where Australia get a penalty on about halfway, and Michael Liner just thinks, let's just bomb it in the air. Instead of going for touch or anything, because I think it might be... It, mm. No, the clock was about to pass half time, so I think he doesn't want to risk it. We're in the 39th minute. Let's just bomb it in the air, why don't we? Luckily, uh, England have John Webb at fullback, who can't catch. So Australia win the ball back. Mm. Former Maul immediately pass the ball back to Michael Liner, who's in the pocket. Oh, is he going to go for three points here? Fair he bombs it in the air again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a bit of a nothing kick, the second one is. Mm. And then England just go, yeah, cheers, and kick it out. And they'd made about 30 metres from just doing basically nothing. Yep. And then just decided, yeah, we'll just kick it away. Like, there's nothing to be gained. However, right, I want to pull something up. Because you yes. mentioned Michael Liner kicking the ball all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gordon Bray says, as he's lining up one of his many shots at goal, which he yeah. inevitably missed. Gordon Bray says, a lot of Liner's skill, right, surely must come from him playing soccer for this team on the Golden Coast, age okay. seven or eight. So Michael Liner played football as well as rugby when he was a very small child. For probably about two years. For two years. He played it when he was seven and eight, and he stopped playing when he was eight. Gordon Bray says a lot of his skill must surely come from him playing 
a different sport for 18 months. <laughs> 18 years ago. Surely, surely. Surely. It's, it's the, the only, only explanation. explanation. Whoa. There's no explanation for that. Well, um, uh, you did say earlier in the podcast that I'm constantly reading your mind, so that's the that. explanation. So yeah, so Australia come out for the second half, and yeah. as well as turning off knock-ons and offsides, they've also come up with a new strategy. And this strategy is also right out of the Rugby World Cup 2011 playbook. Okay. Because they just kick for touch all the time. Yeah. And if anyone's played the Rugby World Cup 2011 official video game yeah. as much as we have, right? Yeah. It's really easy to pin your position in the 22 if you've got time on the ball. Yeah. Right? Because the fullback only stands in the middle. I'll tell you what, ever since the 50 22 law was introduced, how many times have we noticed that that those kicks are really easy to do in that video game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've always been aware of it, you know. But it's a core tactic if anyone plays it. You kick a lot more than I do on that game. Like, Uh, you can very easily. I get bored and I like to press, like, throw the ball around a little bit. You can very easily pin the opposition back by, you know, the 10 just hoofing it. Yeah, yeah. And the fullback usually can't cover to the touchline in time. Sure. And then if they clear it to the fullback, the fullback can then pin it back in the opposite sure, co- in yeah, the other yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a really easy tactic of like tennis match. Like yeah, back and yeah, forth. yeah. There's, there's this one specific type of kick you can do, which means that the closest player in the opposition backfield is the loose head prop most yes. of the time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> You're quite good at that tactic. It's worth I've never addressed this with you, but yeah, you are good yeah. at that. It's, it's one of my specialisms. So they can never get to that. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's yeah. a thing. You take this very Australia seriously. Australia do that. Yeah, Australia start kicking for one touchline. They clear it, and the fullback Roger Gold starts kicking for the other, and it's really effective. They just pin England in the end half, and since England have no skill and only bastardry, bastardry alone can't make up eighty meters. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like Peter Williams has absolutely no vision, and- so he's not going <laughs> to kick for space. And again, like it's not like Webb's going to do much. No. I literally have written down the f- my my second note of the second half is Webb is today's shit fullback. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's always going to be one. And the other one is, um, lads, pass it to Campesi. England can't tackle. Can we have a moment as well to appreciate Roger Gold, right, the yeah. Australian fullback, is the only fullback I think in this World Cup to take every high ball. That's true, He's actually. He's genuinely all yeah. right under the high ball. Yeah, yeah, Like, I'm yeah. not going to stretch as far as good. No, 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 no. But he is passable under the high ball. Yeah. England don't hang that many real testers because they mostly kick it way too long. <laughs> but he takes every high ball he's asked of him. And yeah. that's really impressive at this World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, every time anyone hangs any Gary Owen, I expect him to drop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which explains why everyone was going for it all the time rather yeah. than looking for space. But, but yeah, no, you're right. And then, of course, so the, there's, the good moment comes for England mm. in a second where they do something good. And when I say something good, I mean they string four passes together. So Peter Williams is out of the game. He's taken it in previously because, of yes. course, he has the Tunnel Vision 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in at 10 steps. TVT. Yeah. In at 10 steps Rory Underwood. Yeah. Inventing Shane Williams in the process. Yeah. And all of Australia just goes, tackle him! Shit. 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 They all go in on Underwood. He gives a very simple pass to Jamie Salmon. Yeah. Jamie Salmon then makes exactly the wrong decision, but it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Salmon does a little double pump, right? And the defender, the moment they drift off him, he passes the ball. He lobs it kind of in a yeah. kind of panicked way. Like he he opens up space for himself, yeah. and then he passes it, yeah, yeah, rather than just giving it when it's on. Sure. Kevin Sins then you know draws his man, passes it out, and they get it out to Mike Harrison. Well, John Webb gets the ball mm. and panics and just goes, "Well, I might as well just pass it to the guy outside me without actually drawing anyone in." And then Mike Harrison has the ball. Yes, carry on. And then Mike Harrison finishes it actually really quite well. It, like, it's, it's a, a very, very good, good finish. finish. Very good finish from Harrison. Yeah. Uh, I was I was very impressed with that. I yeah. thought he should be the captain yeah. because of that. 
because uh, he can run fast. Yes, that's, that's a good reason. To make Second consecutive try in his two games as captain. Scored a try in both of them. Oh, nice. Scored his try against, against Scotland example, as well. First yeah. captain. So. Yeah, well done England for stringing four passes together. That's pretty good. No one dropped it any of them. Looks hugely impressive when you watch it back, but only because you're used to watching <laughs> yes. the stands of the previous. Yeah, absolutely. Long. Absolutely. So yeah, fair play. It's it's you know quite a good try uh, by by the standards of what we're doing so far. And they, they got the, it out to the wing and they scored. It's commentator good. awards the try to Rory Underwood. Yes, of course. Um, Saying what a what a great try by Rory Underwood, the jet pilot they refer to him as. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. There's the, my next note after this try is there's a point where you hear an English person on the ref mic saying, "Get this bastard off it!" And I'm pretty sure it was Brian. It's Brian Moore. Moore. Yeah, it's Brian Moore. I yeah. recognise the voice instantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've also got that job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because his voice is a little bit higher because it's in the 80s to what it is now when he's commentating. Yeah, yeah. Because he's a bit older, naturally. That Your voice deepens as you get older. But yeah, that, that was that was, that was was very funny. I enjoyed that. So the next one, I have another point where it's I've written in quite a sort of, uh, again, like a mm. kind of prosaic thing where I've gone, ha, 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 what? Okay, so <laughs> England knock on. I literally then said out loud, Please fucking score this campo. <laughs> so, okay, are we moving on to the try? Yeah. <laughs> I literally said, because like, I was oh. so fed up of England. Oh. They knock it on in their own 22. I think it's yeah. Jamie Salmon knocks it on in his own the, 22. So the um, Harrison try brings it to 6 all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's very And important. I had no idea. I thought Australia were like solidly ahead. Uh, yeah, I didn't know what the, or... the score was going to be at the end of the game either. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. I was thinking, like, why on earth are England in this game? Like, they've been so bad. If if Lionel had slot all, all of his penalties, I think Australia would have been, like, but 19 points. I've lost points track of how many he's got. Yeah, you know, Because yeah. there's no score on screen. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it was 6-all. And I think that's a big thing that Daily Mail and Express picked up on, is it was 6-all after, like, 50 minutes. Okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Australia were heavy favourites. Until Jamie Salmon knocks the ball on. <laughs> yes. So, so Campo picks it up. And, I, yeah, as I, said, I literally said, please fucking score this Campo out loud, th- thinking, like... I'm fed up of England at this point. Like they, they can't catch a ball and they're still in this game somehow. Please, Australia, just please close this out. You're much you're not great, but you're no, better so than there's, them. There's there's been a kick through, right? Yeah. yeah. Salmon regathers the ball, he drops it, he fumbles it, and on the scene, who else but the soon to be all time greatest try scorer of the history of rugby, yeah. David Campesi. Yeah. Who picks at the ball, he turns, he spins, he's got Michael Liner with him, he considers the offload, then he goes, No, I'm, little dummy. Yeah, little dummy to him. I'm one metre out. I'm going to go myself. Yeah. Take responsibility. And <laughs> he knocks it on. He bombs it horribly. He... Like, we are talking Juan Manuel Leguizamon dive yeah. levels of bombing this. We're talking Jeff Wilson getting the ball slapped out of his hands by George Gregan. We're talking Freddie Burns dropping the ball you know, over, the line. over yeah. the line. Like, he, he bombs this. It's a horror like from a is... world-class winger. He is, and because you see it's Campesi and you're like, oh, you know, this is one of his 60 When tries, you see he you dummies know? to liner, you yeah. think he's right to do he's that because it. he's Campesi. Exactly. If it was Greg who'd done that, I'd be thinking, you've got to pass that to, to, yeah. to liner. But given it's Campo, you're looking at him and you're thinking, like, this is a, a world-class yeah, winger. he's going to do it. Taking he's gonna... responsibility, putting the ball down. But no, he bombs so it he drops horribly. It. He drops it. He And, like, and it's not even a... Like, it properly... He's short of the line as well. He doesn't yeah, even get to the line yeah. and drop it over the line. Like, he drops it short of the line. The ball bobbles forward. You can Liner then dives on it over the line. You can literally hear Gordon Bray's head going into his hands. Yes. And, yeah, Campesi looks disappointed with himself. Looks sort of fed he up and angry. He shakes his head. He gets up and shakes yeah. his head, yeah. He knows what he's done. Like I say, like, Michael Liner dives on the ball after it fumbles five metres forward into the end yeah, of the dead... Yeah, like, yeah. just as it's going over the dead ball line, Liner yeah. dives into it beforehand. And... 
Yeah, and he's frustrated as well. They're all so fed up by David Campesi absolutely bombing this absolutely certain try. And then they turn around and they see Keith Lawrence holding his arm in the air, having awarded the try. And like, there was a point where you genuinely thought that the Australians would turn around and complain to the referee. Yeah. But what baffles me? England don't complain to no. the referee. Nobody brings this up. There's no TMO at this no. point, of course. There, there's a, but there, there is a, a touch judge. There's three officials who could yeah. have, One of them could have gone, he very clearly didn't ground that. Mm. Very clearly. None of the English players are making any noise around it. They've just kind of, oh yeah, they've scored a try. And so it's not even like, nowadays, if a try like that is given, you instantly go and a referee's, you know. You don't worry about it, it do you? You exactly. go like, oh yeah, well, it's going to be overruled within a few seconds. You don't worry about it. And because like, I want to make the point of like how clear the knock-on was, right? It's very, like, very It's short of the line. Yeah. It rolls five metres forward. Yeah. He's barely in control of it at all in the first place. Yeah. It's it's not even like the Nepalalala one from the weekend, right? Where like he drops it, regathers it instantly, sure, yeah, yeah. rolls over the line, yeah. right? It's not like that at all. Yeah. It's not contentious. It's very clearly a knock-on yeah. and it's given as a try. Yeah. Yeah. And like this is one of David Campese's sixty however tries in his world record I was, number. Yeah, I was thinking this. It's mad that this contributes to that. So there's, I mean, Gordon Bray and his co-commentator. I'm not sure who it is. Mm. Obviously, then say like that was very clearly a knock on. That shouldn't be a try for Australia. Yeah. That's really poor officiating. As as Australian commentators, they are very clear about that. Yes. And then there's a point about ten twenty minutes yes. later where this is Gordon Bray. Yeah, yeah. This is Gordon Bray says. We've had loads of phone calls coming in about our commentary on the David Campisi try. A lot of people are saying that it came off an English knee, was knocked backwards, and then was grounded by Michael Liner. We have ESPN Scrum open right now. It very clearly says the try was given to Campisi. No, so uh, he then makes the point that, no, the referee awarded the conversion where Campesi grounded it, not where Liner yes, grounded it. Yes, which is true, which yeah. is true. He gave, the try, he gave Campesi's try yeah. rather than... He thought that Campesi grounded the ball yeah. rather than... It getting knocked backwards in line or somehow grounding it. It was very clearly a knock on. Yeah. And I found it hilarious, the thought that, like, because that won't have been a few phone calls. That would have been a lot of people going through the yellow pages, because this is pre internet, going yeah. through the yellow pages, going, what's the, what's the number for, for the Fox TV Sports studio. or yeah, whatever exactly. it is? I need to dial this number up, dial it up, calling in, ringing in, the phone ringing for a moment, ring, ring, ring. Then they say, hello, this is, okay, so, so, so the the phone the phone rings the phone answers someone answers and they say you know hello this is the oh, guy can the I speak TV. to Gordon Bray please <laughs> get him on why are you showing university challenge <laughs> I thought the question on ionic bombs was way off <laughs> so, hello this is Gordon Bray uh, I I think that. Uh, wait, what do you mean Gordon Bray's not available? He's doing... He always do it. Hello, it this, is, this is Gordon Bray. Oh, Gordon Bray is... Uh, I'm uh, answering the phone. <laughs> uh, what rugby positions are 6, 7, and 8? Well, one of the true mysteries of the game is the back row. Not many people understand the back row. Okay, okay, shut up. Sh- shut up. Shut up. Th- that completely Here we tries go. a try. Uh, the, the, it's got to be... It's, it, it was back and then it was line of ground it. I can't do an Australian accent. But it would have taken a lot of phone calls of people saying yep. that for eventually a producer to come into Gordon Bray's ear and go, Gordon, you need to address this. A lot of people are phoning us up. Our lines are really busy. Because who takes the Can initiative you... to phone somebody up for something that's been said on exactly. television? Exactly. Like, do you think that a lot do of you think it's going to get turned over? That were like, what do you think is going to happen from yeah. you phoning up the rugby coverage? Yeah. 
And it's like people tweeting now. I guess that's the equivalent, right? Sure, yeah. But they're, they're asking for engagement as yeah. part of the program. I don't know why... They would phone in, and so a producer will have been in Golden Brazier to say, yeah. "You have to address this and and say about what your view was on the Campisi try, mm. right?" And a lot will of people are fuming like, about this. A whole directory you have to go through, where they have to ring up and then they have to direct you into the sports coverage and into the rugby coverage and so on, and then everyone making the same complaint because it's so specific as well. It clearly yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. I think the, the I just think about comes. it on the um, on the replay. The ambiguous... went, no. There's <laughs> one the replay where you can't see the ball falling out of his hand yes. because there's something obscuring the angle, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think that just created the ambiguity of people thinking yeah. something else happened. And it clearly doesn't, right? The try shouldn't stand, but it does. So why are you complaining? And Gordon you, Bray... you still got the seven but the Gordon Bray does say like I recognize that it doesn't matter. Yeah. We think it shouldn't have been a try, but the referee's given it, so we'll we'll, we'll go on. Mm. But yeah, that was a very funny moment to think that at, at some point, a lot of people must have been infuriated, which would have then enraged a TV producer, which yeah. then resulted in Gordon Bray having to explain himself. My notes on the trite read as follows. Campo. What? Oh my God, what? No, what? They didn't. Introduce TMOs now. There you can see, it takes up most of the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've talked through my notes of that word for word, but yeah, mm. that's a pretty appalling moment in the game. It's remarkable. Do we move on? or So, not long afterwards, Australia have the ball, I think they have a scrum, or they've, whatever, they've got the ball just inside the English half. Yeah. And they pass it back to Brett Papworth, who's at 12 for Australia. Okay, yeah. And looks pretty good whenever he gets the ball, whenever he gets a little run. You know? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, they pass it back to him. And he just knocks the ball on. Like, he just drops it. Oh, yeah, absolutely that's quite good. Pressure. That's quite good. Like, right in that. front of him. Like, he's a proper, like, yeah. howler, not catching the ball. Yeah. The ball bounces. One of his own players kind of, like, pats it back up to him. So, from an offside position. Then he starts running. And the referee says, advantage. I know the point you mean now. I know the yes. point you mean. So, he knocks the ball on. A player in front of him passes it back to him. Yeah. And the referee plays advantage. He holds his arm up. And you can hear him saying, playing advantage, England. He plays no, no. He plays advantage to Australia. Oh, he knocks the ball he off. Points his hand Australia... out in the direction of England, like he was playing a knock-on advantage, and then just Australia... forgets. Because Australia then go on immediately off this. So yeah, Gold gets the ball and runs. Gold makes a thirty-meter break. Yeah, he gets and into the twenty-two from yeah, about halfway. So he gets up to about the twenty-two. He offloads, and then there's a couple more Australian players yeah. in succession get into the twenty-two. Yeah, they go up to about fifty meters out from the line. They make forty meters. Off the back of Papworth knocking it on. Yeah. And the referee playing advantage to them. Yeah, sure. Australia turn knock-ons off. Yes. There were three incredibly blatant knock-ons You're that they so get away right. with. He just, he just, the referee, so Keith Lawrence, you mm. know, yeah, he, he, he says the word advantage when this, this very, it's one of those impressively far forward knock-ons yeah. that Papworth makes as well. And I laughed at that knock-on yeah. because it was under no pressure. Peter Williams it was makes impressively a similar one forward. As well. Yeah. And that is called as a knock-on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a point where Gold gets the ball mm. and he looks at the referee like, oh, you're going to, you're going to whistle me now, aren't yeah. you? And say, no advantage coming. They're about to make a break. England, you can have the ball. Sometimes referees play very long advantages, particularly, sure. you know, in the amateur days. They would sit and like maybe play a phase advantage even. But instead he just forgets and just goes, yeah, we'll just play on. Just, just, Why not? Just go with it. Just yeah, vibes, lads. Yeah. So that just really strengthens any South Africans who were furious with Bryce Lawrence's agenda. Yep. Uh, his dad, Keith, did that to Australia. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. So I think we then move on to the last sort of 20 minutes. Sure. Um, England, as you say, are still sort of somehow in the game. Yes. Uh, they do another sequence of passes, which is quite nice. Yeah. And it gets out to Mike Harrison on the wing. And he absolutely flies down. At which point he puts in what I think is the worst chip of all time, which doesn't even get a waist height. Like it's not even he he, he doesn't just hoof it into touch. Like it he, goes. He looks like he's never kicked a ball in his nope. life. He's because, not even looking at it as he tries to put it on. But his the ball. thing is, like he drops it perfectly, and you think like, oh, he's going to chip over the top. Yeah. This is going to be. This could be it. This could be you know a score. Yeah. And nope. You know he's beating everyone else. He's only got the fullback left to beat. Yeah. And he goes for the chip, and it doesn't even get as high as his waist. Yeah. And Campo does a very similar one. Like, yeah, down yeah, the yeah. same wing like about five minutes later and it goes slightly better and he has a look of like a real smug look on his face when he does it like that's how you yeah. do it Mike but he then does the classic thing where he then goes down injured after this kick of course and he lies down injured for a few minutes yeah. Rob Andrew warms up on the touchline mm. one thing I really enjoyed about England is they had their replacements instead of on the bench you know as they are nowadays where they're constantly warming up and keeping yeah. warm just in case all of their replacements were sat way up in the stands with the coach like sat like towards yeah. the top of the stands wearing like Grey jumpers. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it was it was quite interesting. That I was, I was wondering, like, because I'm used to seeing Rob Andrew up in the stands. Yeah, know? yeah. Like seeing him a lot younger doing that in his past life as a fly half. Mm. Yeah, it was quite a, a, a contrast. Yeah. However, Harrison recovers because it was only a shame injury, and yeah. he hopped well, back over his feet. You mentioned shame injuries. Mm. Brian Moore mm. at one point. I think it's Gold gets the ball. Uh, no, no. In fact, it is Liner. It's Liner. Gets the ball and goes for a really low kick and kicks it very hard and it hits Brian Moore where it hurts and he stays down for a couple of minutes and then eventually gets up and plays on. But yeah, you could he 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 takes one he takes um, a ball to the balls nice. and goes on like a trooper. <laughs> so fair play, Brian Moore. Uh, Roger Gold though does go off for HIA in the second yes. half. Well, he goes off with concussion. Right? Yes, and a there's something weird about him concussion mentioned in the '87 World Cup. Yeah, as a the concern. first two games when there was a couple of moments where he thinks he should have gone off. Yeah, you know? and they do say, oh, he's in the sand, he's looking comfortable. Yes, you know, they keep saying he's comfortable. That's the word they keep going with. Yeah, he's he's fine apparently. But I wanna. So they mention the name of the Australia team doctor who is doing the HIA and is assessing him, right? Yeah. And I wouldn't trust this man. If I if I walked into a doctor's office and found out this was the doctor's name, okay. I would walk back out and find another one. The Australian doctor was called Dr. Jeff... Pa- Sorry. <laughs> the Australian doctor... <laughs> this is real. This is true. The Australian doctor, right, is called... Dr. Jeff Banterfield. (laughs) I am immediately about to look up how many people have the surname Banterfield and you can't stop me. So the Australian doctor is called Dr. Jeff Banterfield and he stops Roger Gold going back onto the pitch and Gold, you can hear him on the mic complaining to him and saying he wants to be back on, but they won't let him go back on because it's just Bants, you know, having a replacement. There are zero people in the world with the surname Banterfield. Uh, He's dead. He's made it up. He's dead. No, but but he's lied to somebody about his real name and used the word banter. 
there. Like, way ahead of his time. Because like, banter became a popular word to mean what it is, did in the 2000s, yeah. surely. It's like, always been like repartee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not in the kind of ironic sense people yeah, use yeah. the word banter now. So Bans. he is way ahead of his time. Just written down Do his think... name as Jeff Banterfield. <laughs> <laughs> like, as a bit. His, his name was like Lewis, Lewis Liner. James. Yeah. You know, someone cut Michael Lyon in half like a worm and Lewis popped out and became the team doctor. Sure, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And also, like, looking at a 24-year-old Michael Liner, he looks a lot like Lewis. He does, he and looks, he looks like... Because he looks like his dad, no, like his y- son. Yeah, and I'd never looked at Lewis Liner and thought, oh, yeah, he looks like his dad No, before. I've always thought But that. Looking, at, looking at Michael Liner in his youth, mm. it makes you realise that they look very Do you like... think Banterfield is where James Haskell grew? <laughs> Yes, I think so. I think they just so. plant the scrum cap in yeah. the sat. In, I, I, in the I reckon genuinely, there's there's probably. I'm I'm shocked that Banterfield RFC isn't where the Don't Drop the Egg Gang played. <laughs> <laughs> they should definitely get Jeff in to do a little cameo. Yeah, 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 with the Hask. Of <laughs> to say though, if you've got Doctor Jeff Banterfield doing a HIA on you, <laughs> and constantly slapping you. <laughs> Oh, Woo, lads, lads, lads. Yeah, yeah. He oh, does man. the HIO on your ass. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah, I've, I've assessed your head. You've... I'll do it to all the other lads. Don't I... need to feel left yeah. out. I've assessed your head. You've definitely got a dick on it. Battlefield strikes again. Big up Jeff Battlefield. So did the commentators say that he's called Jeff Battlefield? Yeah, he said, this is the Australian team doctor, Dr. Jeff Battlefield. <laughs> Like, let's face it, his name's not even Jeff, is it? No, it's no. clearly not Jeff. Clearly, no he, one's he, actually called Jeff. He travels the future and watched Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah. So my name Jeff, and it's like that's about banter. The, the popularization of the word banter. He and... is a man who's travelled back in time for bants. Yes. <laughs> well, you was... said that with Gordon Bray's intonation that... <laughs> there. <laughs> that was my pitch for Doctor Who and why I didn't get to take over. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's genuinely quite startling. Uh, that there is, this is canon in the, the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective uh, uh, cinematic universe. But J- Dr. Jeff Banderfield is a time traveller. And he actually doesn't have a medical degree. He just had access to a printer, which is far easier than it was in 1987. And so he forced Do you reckon he's one of those like like 12th century doctors who was just there like, oh yeah, you've got a cold, here's some cocaine. You know? <laughs> exactly, Do you reckon he's yeah. one of those? He's one of those like, yeah, shit in a bucket and rub it on your eyes. Yeah, Congratulations, yeah. you've called cancer. Yeah, yeah. Did you say you're called cancer? <laughs> You've cured cancer. Oh, I thought but you were legally changing. You it. are also. But that would be Jeff Banterfield's <laughs> typical. That is also part of it, yeah. yeah. He gets you to. You've got to sign here, here, and here for your medication. Yeah. Where you're legally called Bob Cancer. <laughs> oh, I've just, Congratulations, Michael Liner. I've just. Uh, after after checking um, to, to see how many people mm. call Banterfield in the role, I've just seen on my Facebook timeline that Jeff Banterfield is doing a stand up tour. Which, which Alongside. Not... He's opening for James Haskell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you beat me to it. You oh, beat sorry. me to it. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. You know how that that other rugby podcast are doing? They're actually doing that tour, that UK tour. Don't know what you're uh, talking about. Yeah, there's another uh, rugby podcast. Yeah, apparently. Okay. Apparently, there's one where they actually talk about rugby on it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> so it's I, not blood and mud. It's yeah. not us. Yeah, yeah. I, I just it just made me think. Like, could you imagine if we did that? <laughs> how disappointed people would be. Because <laughs> people people go like, oh yeah, Squidge Rugby doing doing like a, a thing, and then realizing it's this shit, yeah, like, yeah they would be so no, disappointed. No, 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 not when we get Jeff Banterfield as a guest. That would be we great. track him down. 
We can't though, because he's like he's got to travel no, through time to go and gen- find us. Genuinely, actually, this is a good point. Now you mentioned this. Mm. If if we have anybody listening who is an Australian rugby fan mm. who can remember back to sort of the eighties, nineties period, it's unlikely because I don't yeah. think we have a massive reach in Australia. If you could tell us some more about Jeff Banterfield, both of our DMs are open. I would genuinely love to know more about Jeff Banterfield and whether or not he is real or Gordon Bray is just having us on. I don't want to know that. I okay, want Jeff Banterfield to be a figment of my own Okay, never mind. Mom. Don't do that. It's up to you. Or do, do that. Guys. Yeah. If Jeff Banterfield himself is listening, we'd love to have you on, but only if you are the fictional witch doctor that I'm imagining. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that's that's good. I'm glad we've got that sorted. Shortly after this, Gordon Bray says that Peter Winterbottom and Dean Rich has been really good. He's <laughs> like, <laughs> have they? Have they, though? Literally all Peter Winterbottom did all game was give away penalties. Yeah. All Dean Richard did, did was fly over that one rug. Yeah, Probably yeah. Probably punch someone else when we weren't looking. Yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, uh, very good was, was an extreme stretch. There's another try we could talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where um, I was about to call him... I was about to call him Nick Grigg. Peter Grigg makes a, makes a break. Uh, and again, uh, it was it was him, not Campo, that uh, Peter Williams makes a brilliant tackle on, like a proper like clasps both his ankles together. Technically, very very good. Mm. Um, and then England just kind of decide, right, job done. Yeah, we did it. We stopped the try. We stopped the try. Great work, guys. And then Simon Poydevan, who I was not familiar with, blindside flanker for Australia, just picks up and then realises nobody's there wanting to tackle him, so dives in and scores a try. And do you know how Gordon Bray notes the try? How he describes the man who scores it? Go on. He says, and the second tallest man on the field has scored. <laughs> I didn't I didn't notice that. That's incredible. That's... The most relevant point about Simon yeah, uh, Poydevan. Yeah. And the thing is, like, he would have to keep his eye on the play at that point. He won't be mm. checking his notes. He's just, he, just he just looks at him and thinks, that's the second tallest man <laughs> on the field. On the whole field. He's assessing the whole thing. That's why he's had such a long and varied career. So, yeah. So, Australia, by this point, have a pretty commanding lead. It's the, yeah. They've got the full 19-6 lead that they eventually win by. Yeah. But the game isn't quite done. No. Because there's a few moments yet to go. Including one point where they work it out and they do... Australia think they've got a one-on-one... And it's David Campese. The, the best winger right? in the world, mate. It's the best winger in the world who has already scored one try that is completely And he's skinned Harrison a couple of times, you know. Yeah, yeah. And opposite him is just Mike Harrison, right? And they've got about 20 metres in which to work. We've seen Underwood does it in the first half and Campese did it a couple of times in the second half where he's been given that kind of one-on-one opportunity and he's made a lot of ground. Yeah. David Campese catches the ball. And I don't know how to do justice to what comes it's next. probably somehow his most impressive knock-on of the game. Yes. So David Campese has the ball in his hand. He considers the little goose step. He begins it. And he literally throws the ball five metres forward straight into Harrison's arms. He then lets Harrison run straight past him, who sprints down the wing and eventually gets hauled into touch about five metres out from the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a good run that Harrison It's a very good run. For. Very good run. Yeah. But seeing, as you say, like the, the best winger in the world literally passing it to... Passing it to the man mm. who stood right in front of him, perfectly into his breadbasket as well. Like, yeah, yeah. It was, if you were allowed to pass forward, it would be a very good pass. It's a netball pass. It pretty much is. Yeah, mm. yeah, it pretty much is. And fast hands, and it's just very impressively accurate. It's yeah. one of those that, as you say, it's quite difficult to do justice mm. on a podcast format. But, but yeah, again, like seeing world-class players from this era doing incredibly bad things is quite entertaining. And that's the thing. If, like David Campese was an all-time... 15 type level player sure. in my mind to, from what I'd seen prior yeah. to this, you know, watching the game context. and so on. 
then you see this game. Yeah. And you go, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, clearly his ability to trick referees into thinking that everything he does is grand. Evidently. Very good. But beyond that, there's like, he's very good. He's, he's very good. Like, he's no, clearly he a cut above. Yeah. Like, Underwood has the same thing of like, even though his core skills aren't great and he drops the ball quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whenever he does catch it, he is lightning. Yeah. He's incredibly yeah. dangerous. Yeah. I'd say Underwood's like the one player for England that I thought was actually quite good. Yeah. And again, like, not that he'd be brilliant these days, but like, no, sure. looking at, I, I, th- I look at him and think, like, yeah, he's like the one player from the England team. I'd be like, yeah, I'd give him a contract, <laughs> see where he go from there. Oh, I've got another point. That, um, oh, please, please. So the, the zone, we're, we're quite near to the end of the game, so we've probably just got a lot, last few points here. But there's a moment where England are pounding away at the Australian line. Mm-hmm. And then in the ruck, they fly off their feet, enter illegally. The referee, Keith Lawrence, holds his arm up, giving Australia a penalty. Mm-hmm. The broadcasters then very quickly show a replay of what happened to that ruck. And then immediately cut back. And England are putting the ball into a scrum. Yes. And so, you know, in the five seconds that have elapsed while they're showing a replay, Australia have managed to tap the penalty and knock it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wondered what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. And evidently it must have been something like that, but they never address it. No. So that, that's the only explanation I can think of, unless there was back chat and they opted for the Because Gordon Bray says something. It's very quick. And I try. I couldn't work out what it, you know, I didn't, I should have rewound, but yeah. Yeah. You know, play was going on and I, so was my will to carry on was pretty sure. much gone by this Yeah, point. yeah. We've got about 10 minutes left of the game, if that. Yeah, the, the whole thing's kind of fading away. There is one of the most blatant, deliberate knock-ons I've ever seen by England. Australia playing in the 22, and England player comes in and literally like almost slaps the ball oh, away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's given as just a, a, just a knock-on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. That yeah. that was, I think, Winterbottom, one of them. Yeah, it must have been. Gary Reese, the seven. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it was Reese. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. That my last real notes from the game mm. are basically that Michael Liner suddenly becomes good uh, yeah. and makes a break. I've got Liner. He breaks. did something! Exclamation mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there's a nice sort of last couple of minutes where mm. Australia go completely mental and just start throwing passes over their yeah, heads, yeah, yeah. behind their backs, and everything. Rory Underwood makes like two brilliant breaks in a row and uh, throws intercepts. Throws an intercept. Throws a couple of intercepts. Yeah. And then Michael Liner misses a drop goal. Yeah. Right at the end. Yeah. Around that period as well. Australia kick long. And Richard Harding, the scrum half, is covering. He's got Webb with him. And it's that classic thing of the ball's bouncing. So Harding goes to just pop it up to the, the fullback, mm-hmm. him to clear. And Harding's pass hits the floor. He's popping it about a metre and he can't successfully Harding pass. Harding was so bad. He's not a good player. No, no, very much not. So the, the final score is 19-6 to Australia. Mm. I did this last time with the Argentina-England game in 2011. If all of the kicks were successful in this game... Mm. The final score would have been 38-12 to Australia. Right, okay. Which would have been a complete thumping. And bear in mind, you know, that still tries at four points as well. So, and like, yeah. so this game was terribly refereed. Like, I, you know, I hate to talk about refereeing, I hate to criticise refereeing. Yeah. But it's one thing that's absolutely improved night and day, World Cup on World oh, Cup, yeah. is the quality of refereeing. Yeah. Right? And the quality of refereeing now is the best it's ever been. Yeah. And it's why, you know, people complain about it, it makes me a bit, you know. Yeah. It's also just very boring. It this is. game is terribly refereed, right? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that both teams do that they get away with. Yeah. And yet all England seem to do is give away penalties. Sure. Yeah. yeah and this really is... dumb, dumb, dull ones as well. Like, yeah. you know, if Brian Moore was commentating on this game, oh, just yeah. imagine uh, how crazy he'd have gone. Yeah. This was seen as a grand reinvention for the English rugby team. <laughs> Mental, isn't it? And so I think, on that note, we should move on to our man of the match and dick of the day. Sure. I, I reckon we should open on man of the match. Okay. Because that's the more difficult one to select from. Yeah. Because 
Uh, realistically, as I say, I think I think Rory Underwood had a very good game. But for Australia, <laughs> I think that Roger Gold had quite yeah. a good day for, for what it was. Andrew Slack didn't drop the ball as much as everybody else. <laughs> but the only player, and I don't, I think we've mentioned his name once or twice. Mm. The only player who I looked at and thought you're genuinely quite good. I would genuinely like want to sign you mm. because you're not doing stupid shit like doing random kicks just because you yeah. want to. Nick Farr Jones yeah. was the one player I looked at. I thought you're genuinely quite good. And this won't have been like his best game. No. I just think that like he wasn't the standout player necessarily in this game, but he's just the one player I looked at. I thought you're actually very good. I completely know what you mean. Nick Farr Jones, when I was looking for the Australia team, he's the player that stands out because there's nothing stupid he does at any yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. He, he, he actually um, cares about the team going forward. Yeah. Rather than both in a lot of the team, either to. I didn't notice were playing, or actively did some really bad stuff. It's yeah. Gold and Far Jones the only two that stand yeah. out. However, and this is completely inexplicable to me, my man of the match is going to be Mike Harrison, the England wing and captain. Really? Because he's yeah, uh, he scores a try. He makes yeah. two clean breaks. Uh, sure. He has another point where he steps David Campesi quite easily. Yeah, and I'd never heard of him. I for the entire rest of the England team were very bad. But whenever the ball got out to him, it was the only time him and Underwood... You're you picking know. him over Underwood? Well, Underwood dropped the ball quite a lot. He did, to be fair. Look, Harrison, said Harrison caught the ball every time it was passed to him. Did he? Probably. He didn't... <laughs> At least as, 30% of the time it, it was passed wasn't to him. He dropped the ball less than Rory Underwood. Let's go. Away. Yeah, fair enough. They did pass the ball to Underwood a lot more, with good reason. Yeah, yeah. But... yeah. I mean, I get why. Look, I don't... I don't... The standards are low for Man of the Match I in this don't... game. I don't like this game and I want it to be over and I don't yeah. want to think about it again I wouldn't recommend um, people going and watching this no, the first three minutes very bad I know some people it. have already because I put it up on the channel yeah, early yeah. Um, oh there was a few comments on that video as well yeah, yeah, so yeah. I appreciate that and that yeah thank you to everyone that's watching along both games I have been kind of keeping yeah. half an eye on the comments yeah. and thank you to everyone that's been listening as well should we move on to Dick of the Day sure I've got quite a few written down okay so um, in fact, it's yeah, very I, much a two horse race for me I have lots so one I've written down is John Webb. He does a lot of shit in this game. He drops a lot of the ball. He kicks that one out. He misses a few kicks at goal. I've not really done justice for how much he fits the shit fullback quota <laughs> so far in this game. I've got Harding written down for that box kick, which yep. I was fuming at. I've got Michael Liner written down from the fact that I, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking mm. forward to seeing him play. And he turned out to be dog shit, like, for most of the game. I had jotted down, because I uploaded this game before watching it to YouTube. Yeah. Um, the description, I just wrote, like, huh, this Michael Liner fella's all right, isn't he? Because I'd seen the score. I scored Michael Liner, scored most of the points. Yeah. And I figured, oh, it's going to be a Michael Liner massacre. Well, I was about to say, so... It really wasn't. There's, yeah. There's Keith Lawrence is the other one I've written down for awarding mm. that try. But, yeah, my dick of the day is Robbie Owen. For writing the description on the YouTube thing as, yeah, this liner lad's all right, isn't he? Because no, he fucking isn't. <laughs> he might be in a few years' he's, time, he's, but not in this game. He's, he's all right. That's uh, true, actually. The, the he phrasing gets four of, of his it, kicks and makes one break. May, I don't know the um the kind of the intonation. I don't know the uh, the, the the tone that that YouTube description is going for. So okay, I also, I, wanna, should, I also want to tell you. Defend right? yourself. I want to tell you. I did not write that description. That description was written... I just left it blank. And the description was filled in by one Mr. Jeff Banterfield. Oh, he's my dick of the day. Dick of the day. And that's that's it. I'm wrapping it up. You've saved yourself there, Robbie. <laughs> As your own lawyer, Look, you have saved yourself from getting your first ever dick of the day nomination on the Squidge Rugby World Cup retrospective. Frankly, my dick of the day conclusively goes 
to Mr. Jeff Banterfield. I have deserved about 58 Dick of the Days, so I'm glad to still keep my streak going. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Banterfield, congratulations on your Dick of the Day. For me, it was an absolute two-horse race, right? Yeah. It was, and one of them, bizarrely, you didn't mention. It was either Keith Lawrence, as you say, for awarding (laughs) that that try. stupid try. Or David Campese for dropping. Right? I didn't even think about that. In fact, do I have so, Campo written down? So, you didn't mention I do have, anyway. I do okay. have Campo written down. Right. God. So, I was going to go with Lawrence the whole way. I mean, David Campese did a five-meter knock-on straight to the hands of his opposite <laughs> number, who he's trying to he beat. He did two of and the worst him knock-ons you'll run see in straight a past Cup. him to almost score. And I went, com- throwing that next to the fact that he's supposed to be the best finisher in the world, and he somehow drops the ball... But it still gets given. It says a lot about the standard of this Rugby World Cup that mm. he was kind of like eighth billing for me for Dick of the Day. Yeah. In terms of just generally doing terrible things. Doing so, that. So we're basically, we're not going to struggle to pick Dick of the Days for the rest of this <laughs> no. tournament. So I, it was re- it's really neck and neck between Keith Lawrence and David Campesi. But I think because he's got a greater reputation and he let himself down. I think um, that's fair enough. I am going to go with the one and only Mr. David Campesi. Yeah. And do you know what? It's, this is sort of what David Campesi now gives out on, you know, whenever he pops up in the newspaper every now and again. Sure. You know, he goes like, oh, my dick of the day would be Quaid Cooper for only kicking 11 of his 10 yeah. yeah. Oh, so David Campesi is like the most famous rugby player I've met and he was a dick. Was like, he? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was like, so I went on rugby tonight with my, um, oh, course, my rugby yeah. club and he was like, the guy on there, he was the mm. special guest. He was a dick. He clearly didn't follow like non-hemisphere rugby. He was constantly like talking down to everybody. Mm. Like, yeah, I say I met him. I didn't talk to him. I just kind of like, I was in the same room as him. I, I looked at him a lot. I've made eye contact with David Campesi. Mm. He was a dick. Like, and a lot of people might have had very different experiences with sure. him, having met him before. But I didn't get a good first impression. I've of heard David a lot Campesi. of people had similar experiences with David yeah, Campesi. Yeah, yeah. If I wish I'd seen this game before that happened and yes. I could have just you know interrupted Austin Healy ran on and just shouted like this guy threw that ball to Mike Harrison and he should have one less try on his world rugby records you know what he wouldn't care he wouldn't care he wouldn't care because he's done alright for himself he, he has he has very very good and he knows player. it so we have also done alright for ourselves by talking for like an hour and a half about this game yeah 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 um, Be- before we wrap up there's, mm. there's something I want to bring up so we've had okay. um basically a couple of people have written in so firstly there's one who you actually conversed with on twitter okay who's a usa rugby fan oh yeah, yeah. Uh, who sort of asked how would the usa team that got battered by the all blacks the other week mm. fare against the 1987 all black team or any team in this 1987 yeah. world cup let's just sum it up by saying they would have absolutely trounced them i i said on twitter it would have been about 70 80 points yeah i, I think reckon. more i think, um, more. I think it very easily could have been more yeah I think I maybe we're looking Blacks, at uh, the, the best of them. But... Exactly, that's the best team in this competition yeah. to go on to win this competition. Spoilers. Yeah, I think John Cohen might have got a consolation try. You know? Yeah, I think there's enough capable players in that All Blacks team to score a try or two. Sure. Yeah, but I think they'd be pulverized in every area of the game, yeah. and they would concede constantly. Yeah. I think you're probably right. It probably upwards of hundred. Yeah, yeah. Another person we've had write in was Ben Affleck. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's that Ben Affleck. I think I, it was. I can't prove otherwise. You know, I actually really enjoyed the last duel. Yeah. yeah. Well, he said that he really enjoys this podcast oh, and really? just oh, thanks, has started a podcast with his friend looking back over old rugby games and has watched like Southland against... Wait, is it Matt Damon, like, his some friend? I, I, I can only assume so. He's, he, he didn't Matt specify that it wasn't. Matt and Ben are doing a rugby podcast. And if they tour that, I don't know oh. I don't know who they're going to get on um, the support, but it'd probably be a bit bigger than Jeff Banterfield. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Casey um, Affleck. Yeah, might, might well be. So th- the final bit of correspondence I have is a review. This review is from Pornithology. Um, okay. 
who said, came for rugby analysis, stay for NSFW pigeon chat, which I think is a very good summation of how this series is going so far. Thank you. And I'm glad you brought that up, Mr. Pornophology. I would now like to please introduce our following segment, which is three and a half hours of very detailed pigeon wag chat. (laughs) But you have to do that yourself. We're not going to do it on air. (laughs) I would like to begin by firstly addressing the area around the pigeon's genitals, which is 